0: Every life has a story, and every story is worth sharing. Your story, my story, and our story speak of victory and defeat, joy and sorrow, resilience and vulnerability. They are not just our story. They are Christ's story in us. They are Kingdom Stories from Down Under. My guest tonight uh, I've met a long, long time ago through my uh, spiritual father, Dr. Bob Chapman. We've journeyed for quite some years now, and I've seen so much of his work. Uh, I've been to his church, I've seen the conference which we hosted for them, we helped host for them. And over the years, it's just been tremendous to have him part of my journey. Tonight, with me here in the studio at Kingdom Stories from the Ananda from Northside Community Church is Hardy Cholio. Hmm. Hardy, welcome to our show, our humble <laughs> okay. Kingdom Stories from the Ananda show. Yeah. Northside Community Church in the suburb of Jundala.
1: Jundala, yes. Mm. Nice.
0: You've been there for eight years, seven years? No,
1: four years. Uh, And by the way, thank you for having me. Oh, pleasure. Daniel, (laughs) Uh, I feel privileged to be with you tonight and it's been great knowing you. And also the common um, relationship that we had with Bob that kind of makes it special to be with you as well because he meant a lot. Uh, to me. Yeah, so we've been in Journal Up for four years, just four years, okay. just gone. And before that? Before that, we were up the road. We were still, still in Journal Up, but we, we Different building. uh, moved buildings, yes. Nice.
0: Are you a Western Australian?
1: Yes, I am. Yeah. And your what, wife as well? Uh, yes, she, oh, she's Victorian. She, uh, she's from Victoria. Yeah. But you were born here? No, no, no. I wasn't born here, but it's the only place that I've lived where I have any recollection of where I've lived. Oh, because you were quite young when you came here. I, I was very young when I was born, Nathaniel. <laughs> no, no, no. So were you born in Perth? No, 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 not at all. No, I was born, um, it's a lengthy story, Nathaniel. Uh, I was born in Germany. Okay. Uh, to a father who was from Russia uh-huh. and to a mother who was from Poland, but ethnically German.
0: And the name, Churliel, uh,
1: is it's been it's been modified over a period of time uh, obviously mostly from uh, from my dad's side yeah and that would be from russian okay mm. did you speak any russian or polish no 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 german? Uh, uh, german i know a little bit a smattering of a few words i think if i oh, and i have been to germany I can get around, you know, oh. I can ask enough for a drink, a coffee or whatever, and I can speak German. And my wife is always very impressed when she hears me because she never hears me speaking like that. But, uh, and I've got a cousin that lives over there and when he comes over or when we've been over there, you know, we, we kind of talk, but we don't talk, but we, yeah. <laughs> it's just... We all, communicate. we communicate. Yeah, it's really just...
0: So your insane. parents,
1: your parents moved to Australia, uh, you were two, three? Yes, uh, I was two and... Um, it was after the war. My dad was a displaced person, in the sense that he uh, he had fought in the Russian army yep. against Nazi Germany, but was captured. Okay. And so they forced him to work in a in a factory. Yeah. Um, and because in Eastern Germany. Uh, no, they they took him into the, the Western area. Okay. Uh, like they did with a few uh, others. My mother. Even though she was in Poland, if you know anything about that particular era, the borders had been changed, had been moved. And so there were a lot of German-speaking people outside of Germany in Poland or Czechoslovakia. Yeah, and vice versa. And so um, part of what happened there, without going into all the detail, is that um, they wanted it back. And so my mum... Ethnically, as I said, was German. But if she had have applied for a passport, she would have got a Polish passport. Yes, you know because that's where she lived. So when the when the war finished, without taking too much time, um, Dad escaped because he'd been captured and he he had a rank within the Russian army. Yes, he was ordered, like they all were, to shoot themselves rather than surrender. Wow. Um, and so he, he was c- captured though. So I'm he doesn't. He never. He's passed on now, but he's never said much. Yeah. Uh, at the time, but um, he knew he could not go back. And when they picked a lot of the POWs up, he had already heard that they're sending them all to Siberia or shooting them when they got back. You know. So he escaped with a couple of, at least one other uh, friend who was in similar circumstances. But what he did that really saved his future in a way was he surrendered to the Americans? So He was in the American sector. Yeah. You know, the lower, the south, Bavaria area. And so um, he ended up working for them as a sort of a security officer type person. Then he met mum, of course, got married, and, and my brother and in I... In Bavaria
0: he met your mum? In mom? Bavaria,
1: yeah. yeah. Now, she, how did she travel? What was, made her travel? She grew up in Poland, so she is yeah. Polish. Yeah. Um, but... At the same time ethnically all, all to do with 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 germany you know so it it, it was it was difficult for these people who yeah. were living like that very difficult and uh, but anyway so she found herself having been taken from where she grew up yeah. her dad had passed away her two brothers were two brothers were killed uh, mm-hmm. during the war so she had no one she didn't yeah. she thought her sister had been killed in the dresden bombing. Um, and her sister thought she'd been killed in the Dresden bombing, yeah. so they both thought that there was no, that there were no relatives. So uh, mum ended up in the Bavaria region,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and anyway met dad, and then, but dad could never go back into Russia, yeah, because he was now he, he escaped from them, yeah, he, he was now a POW, yeah, uh, sorry a, a deserter, deserter uh sorry not a POW and so he knew he couldn't go back so what he did was he basically connected with the the there was an american like a uh, sort of a, a bit of a headquarters group yep. there the army you know so he uh, basically went and saw them surrendered to them and explained his situation uh and i think that saved his life because he certainly could and he could never go back to russia and he sought asylum here or he escaped to england no, what he did was he just basically surrendered. When I say surrendered, he gave himself up yeah. as far as his future was concerned. Um, I don't think initially the Americans knew what to do with him, but they also knew that he couldn't go back yeah. to Russia. They couldn't yeah. send him off. You he know? was in danger.
0: He would have been killed.
1: Yeah, and mum had no real family. Her dad was gone now. Her, her mum was gone. Uh, she thought her brothers – well, she knew her brothers had been killed. Uh, her sister, she thought, had been killed. We found, she found out later, many years later, that, in fact, she had not been killed. Uh, so they lived in a little tiny town, which I have found, by the way. I found the actual house that I was born in. Wow. Uh, which was quite tearful, more for my wife than me, actually, when we found it. My mum said, you'll never find it. It's so small. But anyway, that's another story. So what happened was it was the American army personnel whoever they were. I don't think they were immigration. But they one day showed up because their headquarters was right close to where mum and dad were living. Yes. You could actually see it from the village. And basically just said, look, we found a place where you could go. Uh, well, at that time, people were emigrating in you know within similar circumstances to Canada, South America. Well, we all yeah. know who was going to South yeah. America. Criminals. Um, <laughs> um, and... Yeah. Um, and Australia. Then they found out this place called Australia. Well, Some went to South Africa so. as so, well. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Australia was not really on the, on the map. People hardly knew where Australia was. But my dad wanted to go somewhere where he would not be known. Hmm. And uh, he knew that Canada was cold and he didn't want to go back to a cold place. Too close to Russia. So it was Australia, yeah, and too close By to America. Siberia. <laughs> so that's what happened. I was two when that happened. On a, on a sheep. Came came out on a boat, on a boat, like a lot of people did in similar within similar circumstances. In Fremantle, uh, or in Sydney. Well, they were on their way to Melbourne, but uh, when they got to Perth, they hopped off and said, "No, we're staying here. <laughs> <laughs> no more. No <laughs> more <Almost> two weeks <laughs> at sea." No, yeah, exactly. You know, because all my mum remembers is that her two little her two little boys were vomiting all the time on the trip. You know, it was. Uh, uh, anyway look it took weeks i don't know how many weeks to get out of, so they settled here in perth yeah mm-hmm. that's the long and short of it i guess my mum finally reconnected with her sister yes in the it would have been uh, in the uh, in the 70s or certainly in the late 60s and the red cross found her wow she got this letter, I think it was, one day, and they said, we found your sister. Yeah. Well, you can imagine my mum was absolutely elated. Eventually she went over there, mm-hmm. and of course that was part of the Soviet Union, the east side. Yeah. But she managed to get a pass, a limited movement yep. pass, and she went over there. And Not only did she find her sister, but also uh, I think there was an auntie, whatever, and, and then some of them had gone to the West. So I have a cousin in the West who, when he wanted to leave, they wouldn't let him leave initially because because of certain reasons that he was good at what what he was able to do. And he had to sign a document, an official legal document, to say he will not do any of this for the West when he got out. So, yeah, look, it's a um, bit of a complex history, but I have no recollection of any of that. It's a story that... You know, Mum and Dad passed on to me. My dad really talked about anything.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, we grew up, and I knew nothing about his background. He did yeah. not want to talk about his warring time, yeah, because his family disowned him when he left Europe, mm. because they felt, in a way, that he betrayed them. He, he had betrayed them. Yes, I deserved. It. Yeah, well, it was either death or, yeah, you know, under the circumstances. And so of course, what's,
0: what's your first memory of childhood then? Um,
1: my first memory was uh, Dad building a little fibro house in what is now called Morley, but back then it was Hampton. It was actually a, a suburb, Hampton Park, okay. near the high school, which is called Hampton High School. Yeah. Uh, I remember Dad... Building that himself, I, I'm not sure how old I was, but I was probably six. That five. would have been the outskirts of Perth. Oh, it was. It was the extremity. It, that was the country. Morley um, Drive was the last the last oh, road. It, huh. In fact, it wasn't even called Morley Drive. Uh, we had heard that eventually this would be like a semi-highway yeah. uh, later on, but it, I can't even remember the name of it. A <laughs> Harvest Road, I think it was. Yeah. But anyway, it was the dead end. It was yeah. it was the dead end of suburbia. Yeah. And little by little. And then, of course, um, one of the big building companies in Perth decided to open up that whole area, the background area of... Naranda. uh, Yeah, up to through to Naranda and uh, east of there. And it just mushroomed from then on. Yeah. So do I have happy memories? I don't have a lot of memories. Mm -hmm. How many children?
0: Just you? Me or... In in your family, how many siblings?
1: Uh, One brother, one sister. Younger. Uh, older brother okay. by just uh, 14 months and sister who is five years younger. She was born here, yeah. obviously. Nice. Yeah.
0: And your parents, were they Christians? Were they Reformed? Catholics? Um,
1: Orthodox? Dad, uh, sorry, Mom, let's start with Mum. Mum grew up in the Lutheran Church okay, or the Evangelical Church of Germany, I think yeah. it's called. Uh, Reformed. There. Yeah. So that was her background. Mm-hmm. Uh, she eventually, when she found out how she could do this, um, got my brother and me and my sister when she came along, uh, connected with the Lutheran Church. So that was that was the only church she knew. Yeah, that's all she knew. You know, yeah. um, my dad, I'm really not sure, and he didn't talk much about anything. But he obviously had like a Russian Orthodox connection okay. in his upbringing. He did have friends here who, uh, like I remember going to a Russian Orthodox funeral that my dad went to because his friend had died, um, who'd come from the Ukraine, I think, actually. But I can't say my dad was very... She, put him in the religious. He, he was not in the religious category as far as yeah. any sort of discipline yeah. or regularity is concerned. But having said that, he did go to the Lutheran church with mum. And so occasionally when I would go, for me... It wasn't anything that I needed to commit myself to. It was just tagging along with yeah. mum and dad. Yeah. Mm. But I got saved when I was 17. Um, How did that? Well, um, look, I, I think it was pretty common for my generation in Australia. Um, you know, we grew up getting religious instruction at school. Then I went to kind of a Sunday school at the Lutheran Church from Perth in Aberdeen Street, St. John's. They're still there, the same building. Um so, that, so, and I remember that. I remember the minister, Pastor Graibner. Uh I got confirmed in the Lutheran Church. Mm-hmm. Um, I became a communicant member. Had I, did, I, did I experience anything of the Lord? I can't say I did. I had no memory of any attachment to God. But I knew how to recite the Lord's Prayer, mm-hmm. the Apostles' Creed, Yep. Uh, I knew how to do all of that. And I remember taking my vow when I became a communicant member. But uh, I kind of felt like God lived somewhere else in, on Mars or somewhere. You know? And he knew I lived on Earth. And I kind of felt like uh, until the age of 17 and whatever, um, it was like a silent prayer that I had to the Lord. Lord and I didn't call him Lord, of course, God. I like the arrangement, you leave me alone and I will leave you alone. <laughs> <laughs> a symbiotic relationship. And it was kind of like that. And, so, and I'm sure many people oh, was, the same. It was common. It was so typical of kids my age back. And we're talking about in the 60s, you know. Yeah. So I think it was pretty common. If, if you had have asked me during that time, did I believe in God, I would have said yes. Yeah. I, I wasn't denying God. Yes, yeah. I believed in God. Did I have a relationship with him? Not a, in any personal way.
0: But in an acknowledging way. In
1: an acknowledging way, yeah. And uh, I got saved when I was 17 mm-hmm. uh, when the, the church at that time was an Assemblies of God church in Morley. Uh, it doesn't exist anymore on the corner of Crimea Street and uh, what's the name of the street? Any of the other street, Walter Road. Uh, It it doesn't exist there anymore. But the thing that I... I I got invited by the pastor's son and the pastor, Will Pope. I don't know if you've heard of him back in the 60s. No. And uh, I'd been invited before. I was a bit of a smart aleck when I was young and I'd come up with all kinds of excuses and just stupid things I would say as to why I couldn't come and whatever. But the father walked in on the... the, on my conversation with his son, because he was one of my schoolmates from Mount Lawley Senior High School. And for some reason, I said, yes, I will come. And it was the youth service on Friday night. Nice. And my brother and I went, and I didn't know what to expect. I wasn't interested, really, but Graham was my friend, and, you know, they seemed like nice people. He seemed like a nice guy. We had a common interest. He was into model airplanes, and I was trying to get more interested and so on. But the thing that I remember when I walked into the building, because I'd been used to stained glass windows and everything was black. I mean, the minister, he dressed right. totally in black. He had an old F.J. Holden that was totally black. Um, you know, and to me, that was Christianity, even though I wouldn't have defined it quite like that. But to me, it was, that's what you expect. And I remember walking into this building... I didn't hear guitar. I I didn't hear organ music, but I heard guitar music. And so I'm not saying that organ music is wrong, but the the, the vibe was different. And um, anyway, I walked in and the singing was, was what I would, on on reflection, it was happy, you know, there was a sense of joy. And looking around, I, I saw a couple of my old schoolmates there and And I thought, you guys are singing like you really want to sing. (laughs) This is Uh, real. (laughs) It's like, what's going on here, you know? So I, uh, anyway, and then I listened to the sermon. I don't know if you've ever heard of Pastor Reg Klimanock. He's quite well known here in Australia, or he certainly used to be. Anyway, he was the visiting speaker that night. Yes. Um, And at the end of the service, because he was the visiting speaker, there was like this 30-second, a minute of consulting with the pastor, and it was either Lloyd Half or Norm Smallcomb, one of those two. And whatever they were talking about, it was like they were going to close the service down, but now they're not. Mm. And what uh, Reg Klimanock basically said was that there are people here tonight, uh, and, and he was now addressing the young people specifically, he said that you would regard yourself as a believer, but you have no personal relationship with God. Yep. Now I'm listening. Yeah. Because I thought, wow, okay, that's me. Yeah. Um, and, and it was just basically an appeal. Do you want to get to know God? Not yeah. just, you know, you can acknowledge him, but do you yeah. want to get to know him personally? And, of course, the usual drill, you know, put your hand up and you know, whatever. Well, I'd never experienced anything like it. My heart started pounding. I realize yeah. now it was the Holy Spirit, but at the time, you don't, you don't know what's going yeah. on. You know, when you're not yeah. saved, you, you've got no frame of reference as far as spiritual yeah. matters are concerned. Right. You know, no understanding. But I put my hand up because I, you know, my insides were pounding and I thought, I, I don't know God. Yeah. I don't know God. And then, of course, they said, it, those of you that would you hand up, would you like to come out the front? Mm. And I'm thinking, hey, got nothing to lose. If God is real real and and we can get to know him, uh, hey, it's got to be a good thing, you know. So I I had a very simple understanding of what what was taking place. So I went out and I don't remember too much of what happened at that point until somebody came to me while I was at the front and said, can I talk to you, you know, rather than go and have coffee and whatever. I said, sure, you know, I'm happy about that and, so he took me aside. I still remember his face. And he said, can I share a scripture, a Bible verse with you? I said, sure. Uh, and he, he turned to John 3.16 and he read John 3.16 out to me. And I'd heard that before somewhere, you know. Yeah. And he said, now I'm going to read it differently because this is God's message to you. And he said, for God so loved Hardy that if Hardy would believe in him, Hardy would not perish but have everlasting life. Awesome. And it was suddenly, it was like I was hearing God. Yeah. It was like I felt the reality of that. Yeah. I couldn't explain it. i All I know is that that's what it was. Um, then I went home, obviously, later on, um, Friday night, and I knew something had happened. Yeah. Again, if you had asked me, I would not have been able to explain it. Mm. I went to bed and I slept like a log. Now, Saturday was... You know, anyway, without going into all the detail, it was part of my doing what I usually do day. Yeah. And Saturday night, I religiously went to the drive-in picture theatres. I had a guy, a friend, a good friend who um, had a 186S Holden Kingswood and he would pick me up, you know, and that was what we would do. Yeah. Every Saturday without phone. Drive-in. Drive-in picture theatre. Yeah, yeah, the drive-in, uh, which used to be on... on um, in Morley that we're in, a drive in. Anyway, my mate came to pick me up and I went out to the car and I said to him, Mark, I'm not coming. He said, what do you mean you're not coming? It's like, we always do this. Yeah. I said, no, no, Mark, I'm I'm not coming. He said, so what are you doing? Where are you going? And I said, you know, there's a little old church up on top on the hill here. I'm going to go there. They've got a youth group on tonight. And he looked at me in total disbelief. (laughs) <laughs> he said, you're nuts. What are you talking about? You don't do that. Uh, and he started sort of arguing with me. Well, yeah. well, what's happened, you know? Yeah. And I said, no, no, I'm, I'm, I just kind of feel I want to be with the people that I was with last night because uh, the, the people from that church, which was a four square Church, had, uh, were meeting at the AOG church for a youth rally. Yeah. So, but Graham, my mate from school, he went to that church. Anyway, it's, again, it's a bit of a story. So I went to that youth, youth group that night and I just knew inside in my heart without knowing how to explain it that this is where I belonged. Yep. I was, it was like I'd come home. It was like family to me. Now, I'm 17 years of age. I don't, even as a 17-year-old, I don't think I was nuts. I don't think I was weird. But they were the feelings that I had. But the real thing that I, on Sunday morning I woke up and all I wanted to do was go back to that little church. Mm. And I thought, I knew then something That's the happened. third day. That's on Sunday. It's a Friday night. Yeah. So now it's Sunday morning. Yeah. Well, my mum had been trying to get me to want to go to church all yeah. my life. And so when I went to church on my way, mum asked me, where are you going? Yeah. Uh, by this time, by the way, I was living in the backyard of my house, of where I lived, where mum and dad lived. I had moved out of home into I had converted a shed. This was my cave, all right. And Mum said, "Where are you going?" And I said, "I'm going to go to the church up on top of the hill." And she said, "You know, you can overdo it." <laughs> <laughs> I thought, "What a change. You're, I'd gone from "You got to go, you got to go." Now it's like, "Hey, don't overdo Do it. it." And I went there, and my life—I knew then that my life had changed. Still couldn't explain it not properly anyway, yeah. and then Sunday night I went again. That was my weekend. When I left work on Friday, I, I worked in the National Bank at that time, I, I was just a worldly 17-year-old mm. guy. I was having fun. I, was, I think I was a reasonably popular sort of a guy. You know, I got yeah. on well with people and, and so on. But when I came to work on Monday morning, I was changed. I couldn't listen to the dirty jokes in the space of a weekend. Wow. Morning tea time. I, 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 it was like I'd become a foreigner to... The world. The world. And a massive culture shift within you. Yeah. Interior. And I thought, I really thought that my workmates... Would want to hear my story of what happened to me over the weekend. (laughs) Because you know what men are like, they're bragging about what they had done on weekends. Girls and and who they'd been out with and all of their accomplishments and conquests and whatever. And I said, guys, let me tell you what happened to me. And I thought they'd want to hear. Of course they didn't. They weren't really interested. A couple of the younger ones were sort of like, Well, okay, we'll talk some more, because they were curious, you know. So that's the beginning of my my Christian walk. And from then on, I ended up going to Bible school for uh, a while and was given an opportunity to serve the Lord. I I thank the Lord that the Lord led me to a small church because the opportunities were there to serve. And I learned so many valuable lessons. People ask me from time to time, what prepared you for the ministry?
0: Yeah.
1: And I said, well... How I handled work, yep. what I learned in places of employment. Yes. Um, in the local church, what I learned how to get on with people and I learned how to serve in yeah. my little church, yep. right, yep. and and everything else as they went I went to Bible school for three years, night school, four nights a week, mm-hmm. uh, compulsory doing this and that and whatever else. It was hard yakka. I would not recommend it to anybody. <laughs> or, um <laughs> And I said, those... That has changed. They're the, yeah, they're, they're the three th- main things. And then I say straight away, and of those, the least important was my Bible school.
0: Yeah.
1: Now, the le- I'm not saying it wasn't important. I'm saying it was important, but my big lessons, because God had to change my character. Of course. Sitting in a classroom, only so much can happen. Mm. So was that important? I would not do away with what I learned there. But... I knew I had to learn. So I mean, just little things like, for example, attitude towards serving. Yeah. You know, they put me on cleaning the roster, um, you know, (laughs) cleaning the toilet roster, sorry. Yeah. I thought, yeah, I can do that. And uh, I remember I showed up on this particular Saturday morning. Nobody else showed up. I thought, how come I'm the only one here cleaning toilets, you know? Yeah. And I remember exactly where I was. I remember where I was standing in front of the urinal of the men's toilet, and I'm complaining now, like, ugh, you know, attitude. You know, well, where are the other guys? You know, I bet they're out having a good time this morning and so on. Uh, it was all inward, you know, yeah. but it was still there. And the Lord spoke to me just as clear as a bell. Who are you doing this for?
0: Mm.
1: Now, I'm, I'm just a novice. I'm just a new, newborn Christian. Yeah. But I knew God was speaking to me. Who are you doing this for? Mm. And I realized God was saying to me, if you can't do this for me, don't do it. That's right. Don't do this complaining. Yeah. A lot of things that I learned, for example, um, my, my work, every job that I got from that point on, and there weren't many, I knew in hindsight particularly that God drew me to those places and in many ways gave me success in those places of employment. But they were all preparing, you. preparing me for other things. And then we, I, I left when I was 27 and went down to a little country church in gets and pastored down there. When did mm. you meet your wife? Youth group. I remember the first time I saw her. She was at the front door of the church coming to a youth group meeting. In fact, no, it may have been a Sunday service. I don't remember now. But I remember seeing her. Did I, was it love at first sight? No. Was there an attraction? Yes. But we had a good youth group and there were a lot of attractive girls coming I'm to sure. it. Um, and so then we went to Bible school together. And we were going together as in being there at the yeah. same place at the same time. And then that was when I realized th- the attraction that was there was wasn't just you know, just sort of casual. And uh, we were under strict instructions. No student was to get in any serious relationship during their school training, not even dating. Yeah. So we we agreed that we will not date until school finishes that year. So the day after it finished... <laughs> we... <laughs> but I was I was 19, 20 then, 20. And uh, so... It, i was twenty one when we got married, and Vicky was nineteen, so we were just Beautiful. kids getting married and you know we've never looked back we've served you know God God so graciously uh, and in in a powerful way because she has a similar background to me in many ways, mm. brought us together and we've never looked back awesome we've had a great marriage and and I Yeah, we've had our ups and downs. We've got four children, four girls. We love them. Uh, I I wouldn't change any of those early years at all. Yeah. That was so precious. And, you know, I I was given the opportunity of serving the Lord. I remember uh, the pastor's wife, um, Neen Pope, it was Will and Angela Pope, we called her Nene. So not long after I got saved. So I I think I was either saved six months or 18 months. I don't remember. Yeah. It was probably just six months. She came to me at the end of a service and handed me a book. She said, Will and I, Pastor Pope, everyone called him Pastor Pope, we're going on holidays. I wonder if you could do something. Mm. Uh, Sure. Could you please teach my Sunday school class? (laughs) I was shocked that I was being asked, you know. She said, look, here's the book. We're at lesson five. All you've got to do is read Lesson 6. Yeah. Try to memorize as, as much of it as you can. You've got memory verse, whatever. And we will be back like in three, four weeks' time. It was an extended holiday for them. And I thought, yeah, you know, I was keen to serve the Lord. <laughs> of course, when she came back, she said, how did you go? And I said, well, we all survived and kids seemed to enjoy themselves. It was a class of boys. Then you got the job. And she said, okay, that's great. Don't give me back the book because you're going to be the teacher from now on. <laughs> <laughs> so all of those things began to happen, you know, and um, anyway, I could go on and on and on. We went on a missions trip. Um, what was the first mission trip? Papua New
0: Guinea. BNG. What, what called you there? Who called you there?
1: I think there were t- well, we, I heard that there so was... So you a- were in Katanning now? No, no, no. I was only 23. Okay. Um, yeah, so going back before that. But it is connected in a roundabout way to Katanning. To uh, when, when we got back, the team was made up of people from different churches. Yeah, and there was a, a girl who was from Katanning, from the Katanning, which was not a four-square church. Fred Anderson was the pastor down there at that time, and so we we did the rounds. We went to all the different churches and took services. The team did, you know, and so it was it was just a great fun time, and God blessed it, and we we were learning a lot of things together, and. But the couple of things that I remember is somebody asked me when we went to this particular church and also, um, you know, Pastor Pope's wife asked, did I feel a stirring to maybe go back to Papua New Guinea as a missionary? Because we had a bunch of missionaries up there at that time. And I was shocked that I was being asked this. And I said, no. I said, I didn't feel that. Yeah. So that was one thing. The second thing was... I was asked to speak Sunday night. It was the old Vic Park Church yep. uh, on Armagh Street, mm-hmm. which doesn't exist anymore it, it, anyway. And, uh, and I remember what the Holy Spirit did in my life that night. Yep. And it's a, I won't go into details, but I knew I was being confronted by something and I heard the Lord say to me, if you... Will commit yourself to me. I will use your life because something was happening in the service. I'm the preacher, right? Yeah. I'm standing in front of all the people. Yeah. I'm looking at them. And it was like I'm looking down at what the Holy Spirit was doing. And it was like I was looking on to myself. Yeah. Now, I know that sounds weird, no, no, no. and I'm not suggesting it's it was like, a, it's out like of you're body in ex- the
0: stands, it, it, but you're also playing the game.
1: Exactly. You know, yeah. I'm hearing myself. And I know what's going on. And I'm having this conversation with the Lord, but I'm preaching the sermon at the same time. I I know it sounds complex, but for me at the time, it wasn't really weird. It was not strange. I'd never experienced anything like this before. Yeah. And I gave an altar call. I gave an altar call at the end. And I looked down and people began to come out. I would say 80% of the congregation came out. Yeah. And people were breaking down and weeping. I felt like I had really done something wrong just about. I thought, what is going on? I hope I haven't done anything wrong. I'm a novice at these things, you know. I had seen the Holy Spirit move in our little church and in different ways. But the fact that I'm now looking on to what is happening here, and I remember uh, dear Angela Pope said to me later, she said, I saw your face when these people started coming forward. Yeah. I look, I saw the look on your face and you were saying to yourself what is going on here? You <laughs> didn't understand that the Holy Spirit was doing this as much for you as for the people that were responding. Beautiful. And from that point on, I from that point on I felt God had said to me, "If you will trust me, yeah, I will do it."
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It was Wasn't you it was what I did that night. Yeah. It wasn't what you had done.
0: That's right.
1: And then later on, of course, you know, we, we went to Fred's church, Pastor Fred in Catanning, and I was a bit of a smart aleck back then. I said things I should never have said. And um, I said jokingly to Pastor Fred, he, he said, what are you doing now? And, and I said, well, you know, I'm getting a job because we've been away for five weeks on the trip. And He said, oh, they've got a branch here. Why don't you, why don't you come down here and help me in the ministry? And I said something silly. It was just silly. I said to him why would anyone want to come and live here in Katanning? That's right. (laughs) Uh, It's not a right, not a good thing to say. No, no, no. Not uh, to somebody from Katanning. Not to someone who's living in Katanning and pastoring the church. Little did I know that God was listening to all of that and that later on I was asked would I go down and pastor the church, which was the outworking of the church that Fred had commenced down there. And you moved to Catanning. We moved to Katanning spent five and a half years there, five and a half wonderful years. The girls were born there, a couple of them? No, three of them we took down <laughs> with us. One had just been born and the baby was born in Katanning She's a little Catanningite. <laughs> but great years. I, I would live those years again. We'd learned so much. Um, I had to learn things personally. Yeah. Um, and, um, for example, one of the things that the Lord showed me I'm 27 years of age. I'm I'm wet behind the ears, really, as far as ministry is concerned, although I had preached a number of times before. And uh, the Lord said to me one day, you may consider – or words to this effect, I don't remember the exact words – you may consider yourself as the pastor of this church, but you're not the elder. Mm. And I thought, what does that mean? To me, pastors, elders, same thing kind of thing, you know, and – and then one day, Sunday morning, it may have been the very next Sunday morning, I'm looking at the congregation, yeah, and I'm looking at these people that had come out of the Baptist church, had come out. These were solid, foundational yeah. men in the church. They knew the word. They'd been proven faithful. And I, and then I realized immediately what the Lord had just said to me, mm. and I began to honor these men. yeah, And women too. It wasn't just the men. But specifically then, I need... I needed to have men who would look after my well-being, you know, as a young young pastor. And I began to honour them. I began to talk of them in front of the congregation Mm. uh, and privately like, these men are really special to me. They would come and have a cup of tea with me and I would ask them. Uh, I won't name them, but I remember to this day who they were. So what do you think about this? You know, well, I would do this and, you know. And the more I honored them, the more they honored me in front of the congregation. Beautiful. I Wisdom. them. Nev- I, ne- I never had an authority issue. I left because, um, well, um, how it actually happened was I knew we'd gone to America to do it, was like a mission trip, ministry trip to kind of learn a few things and came back. And I knew the Lord was saying to me, there'll come the day when you will leave Katani. Yeah. I was just open to, I left that with the Lord. Lord, if that's what you want, I'll know when it's the right time. So I'm in, the, I'm in the office at the front of the building. It's still there, the old hall that we bought while we were down there. I've been there. Have you? Yeah.
0: With really? Bob. Really? Yeah.
1: Oh, well. He ministered there and uh, he took me on a trip once. Oh, good on him. Well, I kind of feel more of a kindred spirit with you even more now. <laughs> yeah. But there, there were two front rooms. And I was in one of the rooms. That was my prayer closet. I could hide there and so on. And I, I I was walking out, locking the front door, and the minister of the Baptist church, I know this is going on tape, so I'm hoping this is all okay. You know? But he was coming around the corner, and he waved at me. He saw me, you know, and uh, uh, I waved at him, and he stopped. And he and he uh, said, oh, look, can I talk to you for a minute? I said, sure. And... Uh, He said, uh, I've just been called to pastor a larger church in the city of Perth. Mm. I said, hey, that's great. You know, we were fairly friendly with one another. and We had a very good minister's fraternal down there. And I said, that's fantastic. You know, and I I was rejoicing with him, you know, because he was so excited about this, you know. But he said something that I was a bit troubled by. He said uh, a couple of things. One was... He said, oh, I'd be glad to get out of this." And and he was he, he said some <laughs> he disparaging just... things about katanic. I thought, "Well, mate, you weren't talking like this a couple of months ago." When, but now that you're leaving us, all of a sudden it's a bad place kind of thing. Now he didn't mean it bad, yeah. but it was just oh. it, it was just kind of not a happy expression, you know. And so I looked at him, and then and then he asked me, "He said, so when are you going to leave this place?" Ah. After having said. It's not a nice place to be living, is it, you know? And I looked at him, and I felt the Holy Spirit said to me, don't pick up on this critical yeah, attitude, Spirit, you know? Yeah. And I said to him, I was being a little bit naughty, actually, and I said to him, you know what? I said, when we leave Catanning, I would like to go somewhere where there is no church, start from fresh, and reach people who don't know the Lord. Wow. Prophetically speaking. And as soon as I said that, the Holy Spirit said to me, that's what you're going to do when you leave here.
0: <laughs>
1: as clear as a bell. As, as, as clear as if you would say right now yeah. something that I had to heed and I would hear your voice. Yeah. It was as clear as that in my heart. I said to Vicki, when we leave, we're going, to, we're going to plant a church somewhere. Yeah. And uh, I didn't know how to plant a church. I went to people. They didn't know what to advise me and so, and so that. That was another adventure. But talk about a leap forward into growing and, and learning and understanding things and so on. So we did. We planted a church. We, anyway, that's another story. Where was that? Well, we started in Wanneroo mm-hmm. and we were in the school there. Um, and then, uh, but we, 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 we didn't feel that this was going to be the permanent place. Uh, for us, and then we we moved to somewhere else, and it was Frank Holgren that you may remember, uh, Frank. I, I went to what was then Shiloh Faith Center in Belga, to their bookstore that they had there, and as I was walking out, I could see Frank, and and I waved to him. Anyway, yeah. we bought that church. You bought that church. Yeah, the Romanian church. Ah, oh. I was I was uh,
0: in the church that bought oh, it. Wow. So we bought it from
1: Shiloh. Wow,
0: wow. So I, I
1: actually took over. Uh, <laughs> John Finkel's office oh, Okay, John was just a young bloke in the church at that time so, wow and anyway Frank saw me well this is so interesting and he called me over he was in, inside the building we just started talking he just wanted to chat how are you going what are you doing I said well you know Frank like I've shared with you, we, uh, you know, we're planning a church don't really know exactly whether we're doing it right or wrong or whatever So he asked me a couple of questions and looked at me. He said, God's going to bless you because you're on your way. You you, you know, you've heard from God. He said, there are people that have started churches in Perth. They don't know what they're doing. God hasn't called. He he was quite prophetic about it all. Yeah. He says, I can tell God's going to bless your ministry Mm. and he'll establish a work through you. Wow. Wow. I thought, well, that's an encouragement because we, we'd moved and we were only getting a handful of people. But it put a skip in my step, and I thought, well, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna give up. I'm gonna believe God. Uh, and I wasn't, I wasn't one of those guys that was silly with expectation. I had my feet on the ground, but I yep. also knew when God spoke, I, I knew His voice. Mm. And so that's what happened. We ended up at Padbury and the Binny Shell that was there, and. Things started to happen. And, Same people? Uh, no, no. So, uh, uh, and then we moved to Wangara. Mm-hmm. We rented a place near the post office there on that street. Yep, Berinjara. And, and that's when the work. Hmm? Berinjara, I think. No, Delamata Road. Delamata. So we were there, and that's when we started seeing souls getting saved. Mm-hmm. I don't think a work really gets established as your work that you have been called to until you see souls being saved. That's right. And uh, I just did what I knew what to do. I couldn't do what I didn't know, but I knew that God was interested in saving souls. Yeah. And my vision was, and I said, I remember saying this to Fred later. I said, Fred, my, all I had in my heart was to see souls getting saved. That's mm-hmm. it, nothing else. Uh, and he said, well, are you getting people from other churches? I said, no, if you came to our church at that time... It was like 60%, 70% of everybody there were people that we were leading to the Lord. Yeah. He said, really? I said, yeah. Well, I said, well, isn't that what we're supposed to do? Yeah. To, to me, there was nothing to talk about here. This mm. is what we do. Yeah. When we plant a church. And so from there, we, anyway, and then, then of course, we finally, uh, I'm, I'm pointing over here because I think I'm in my building, you know, but we uh, we bought on, um, on Windsor the Road right there, there and here. ended up yeah. The old milk depot, and that's a story. That's a that's a miracle. It was just amazing how God gave us that building, and then uh, selling it, and then now where we are. Talk about a miracle! You've been in the building, yeah, beautiful building. Can you believe that that building belongs to our church? It's phenomenal, you know? um, and that we were able to sell the other place, and we we did well financially out of selling that place. But it was market value when we sold it, and um, so here we are, where we are, and we're we're building on and. And establishing minister, she's doing well. Health-wise? She's doing well health-wise. You've had a bit of a scare? Yeah, I've had a bit of a scare. I wouldn't call it a scare. Um, It did create some concern. Did I ever become fearful? No. But I spoke to the Lord about it from the perspective of, Lord, you know. Yeah you know here. And, Lord, you know I've prayed for people to be healed and so on. And, and the thing that I prayed very sincerely was, Lord, not only do you know, but I committed... And These were pretty well my words to the Lord. Lord, I committed my life to you many years ago. Yeah. And I've never taken my commitment back. Mm. I've never grabbed it back. Yeah. That commitment has stood constantly mm. through ups and downs and difficult times, you know, mountaintop experiences, valleys. And I said, Lord, I'm as committed as I've ever been to serving you. My life's in your hands and uh, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you for healing. I'm trusting that there are many good years ahead of me and that, um, you know, we'll have, we'll continue to have good fruit until you take me home. Wow. I I remember exactly where I was when I prayed that sitting in the car after the doctor had said to me, you need to go and get checked. I'm going to send you to a specialist. Because this is serious, what I'm seeing here. Yeah. And I thought, well, Lord, if it's serious, you're seeing it. Yeah. And the next day, one day I'll find it and I'll show you. There's a blood test report that I have saved from the doctor. Mm -hmm. Now, the first one gave my blood tests, you know, um, outcomes. The readings. The next day, I go to this other place because he said, I, I'm finding it hard to, to believe this. Yeah. And I come back and, and the report goes to him the next day. He says, you've got to come and see me again tomorrow. So I'm sitting by his desk like I'm sitting with you. Now, he's a Christian brother and I talked to him about the Lord, right, this, yeah. this doctor. And I, I know that back in those days, you got all your reports. They were on different pages, you know. Yeah. And uh, now we're down to two reports, in fact, down to one really. Um, the others he wasn't really concerned about. So he pulls it out, and I noticed he'd scribbled all over it. Mm. And you know what he'd written? No. Pentecostals, don't trust them. <laughs> he couldn't understand. Yeah. He said to me, this? I, I, I've, been, I've been in medicine 30, 40 years, you know. This doesn't, this doesn't make sense. never happened to me before. Yeah. I said, so what, what's it saying? He said, well, have a, look at, have a look at your PSA report and stuff. Yeah. Uh, I said, really? Now, this was not recently. This is the time before. Yeah. So when this happened, I've got now a track record of God coming <laughs> through for me. And that's why he wrote Pentecostals and Trust. He said, this, this should not be happening. I should not be seeing this. Yeah. It doesn't turn around like this in one day. That's right. And I said, well, I believe it was the Lord. Mm. I believe the Lord undertook for me. He heard my prayer sitting out in the car, the front of your office here. So this time when I went through this, um, you know, the bells are going off and whatever. And I remember saying to the Lord, Lord, this is not the first time I've spoken to you about this. Yeah. And God touched my heart and he's, he's telling me now, you gave me your life. Mm. Sorry, I'm teary. That's up. fine. You gave me life, your life many years ago, and I've still got it in my hands. Beautiful. So did I worry? I worried more for my kids and Vicky in a way if there was worry there. Did I fear? No, I didn't become fearful. I, I, re- I can honestly say that there was concern there, but not to the point of creating fear in my life. Yeah. I said, Lord, you know what? I've preached over the years. I've seen you heal other people. Uh, and, Lord, I'm yours. You just... You've looked after me all of these years. You've been faithful. Yeah. And I believe that my life is still in. And so words to that effect is mm-hmm. what I was praying. I was just talking to the Lord. Um, so I'm sitting here, uh, Nathaniel, with the, the medical records are saying everything that I've had to go through have been successful. Yes. Uh, my PSA is virtually non-existent, the reading. It's that low. You know, it's, it's not yeah. nothing there. So I just spoke to my oncologist just last week. He rang me and he said, uh, there's nothing there. There's no record of anything. Praise God. So praise the Lord, you know. Wow. Um, yeah, so Nathaniel, um, I, I really believe God uh, healed me. Yeah. Um, the doctor's were very surprised, and I'll show you that form one day. When he's, yeah. when he, I said, Why did you write this? He said, This has never happened to me before. Right. I said, Well, God's intervened. Yeah. You know, there's no medical reason for this except just, you know, what you know and what I know. Mm. So let's thank the Lord, you know, together. I am. You know? yeah. So, um, anyway, so that, that's the story. And then today, uh, I just believe that God will. Uh, allow me the opportunity and the privilege of serving him. Because years ago, I, I remember saying uh, several times, when I go, I want to go with my boots on. <laughs> it's, a, it's a Western yes. thing, you know, like, yeah. the, you know, a um, Wild West thing. And I wasn't trying to be smart with it, but I really feel that I, I want to be serving the Lord effectively and fruitfully yeah. until he calls me home. Mm. Now, I may not be pastoring a church, may not be preaching much or whatever. But, you know, we're all serving the Lord in some capacity right until the Lord takes us home. Sure. And um, I thank the Lord for a beautiful wife. You've met Vicky, haven't yeah. you? Yeah. I mean, she is just, a, well, uh, she is gorgeous, you know. and. Uh, You're blessed. I am totally blessed. My kids are supportive. I love them. I have grandkids now. You want to see my grandkids? I've got 10 grandkids. <laughs> uh, You're a
0: wealthy man.
1: And I've got a great-grandson. Already? Already. I've got right. a 24-year-old married granddaughter. My God. So, yeah, but you know how old I am, don't you? No. no I'm 74. So wow. <laughs> I'm 74, so. you keeping well. Well, what I'm saying is that when you get to my age, yeah. I mean, we got married at 21. Two years later, our first child came along.
0: Yeah. You know,
1: Beautiful. The kids come. It's and, the way it should be. And we're serving the Lord. That's nice. I'm, I'm really... I say many times In if I have the opportunity of saying it to people, I'm a satisfied customer uh, as far <laughs> as God is concerned. Praise God. I can recommend him because I've proven him. Yeah. Taste and see that the Lord is good.
0: What a beautiful story. And Northside Community Church is a family church that just mm. thrives and uh, it's been a privilege for you to lead as well. It has. What's
1: next? Uh, what do you feel is next for you? For me, I want to... I, I want to reconnect more closely with our ministry people in Indonesia. Yes. You know, we talk about having, you know, spiritual sons and so on. I've got many there that who regard me as their spiritual father. And I want to reconnect with them. The last three years we haven't been yeah, just connected. By, uh, Zoom or anything. Yeah. Like... So um and a lot of these Well, not a lot. Some of them are city pastors. Some of them are country pastors. Well, they're very basic with regard to avenues of of communication. Yeah. Uh, I've got one pastor who was our first pastor that we supported. His wife passed away over the last couple of years. Mm. It devastated him. Yeah. He's doing a great – he has over 200 children in his compassion ministry on site, you know, and I've been there. I've seen it all, and I see him often, this man.
0: What island is he on?
1: He's on Java, Central Java, yeah. mm. uh, and then others. You know the young guy that was just a youth worker when we first met him. He's now the pastor of a church. I mean, his first service starts at six thirty in the morning, and it's packed. And I remember asking him and the former pastor there, "Where are all your children?" There's no children in your church. He said, "Oh, yeah, they're meeting this morning." I said, "But where are they?" We have. Children's church, a the full service just for them. He said, We can't fit him in the building. Yeah. So there's three, four hundred people in the building, right? Yeah. So where are your children where are they meeting? He said, Well, they're in houses all around the church. I've yeah. got sixty teachers right now teaching all of these children. Beautiful. And so how many kids? Oh, at least two, three hundred children. <laughs> I said, We can't put them in the church, so <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> We've got to have them somewhere else, you know. Yeah. So these are the people that I have grown with. And when we first came, to, or we first connected with supporting that particular church, it was church probably of 20 people, 15 people. God has blessed that work. And so the people that we are connected with, um, they're, they're known as Gereja Gideon or the Gideon Church. They are scattered from Medan. I don't know if you know Indonesia. Yeah, I've been uh, North been Medan, yeah. North Sumatra, right? Yeah, I've been there. Pakanbaru all the way through. Ja- so you've got central Java. Yeah. That's where the bulk of them are. Um Kalimantan, uh, in there too. one church in Bali, and then also church in Ambon, nice. or churches in Ambon. So that's where my spiritual family are located. I pray that the Lord will open the door for you to fly eh? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward. To it. I believe God is stirring me to begin making plans to go. Mm. Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing this beautiful story here mm. at Kingdom Stories. We wish
0: you well with. Uh, your family, with your kids, grandkids, -grandkids, Mm great-grandkids, with Northside Community Church and also with the Apostolic Ministry going overseas. Mm -hmm. What a beautiful story, eh? Uh, You know, to, to hear a mighty man of God from our own town here from Perth, just to get to know his story and the love that he has for the Lord and how he persevered on throughout the years, both in countryside and here in the city, is just encouraging and uplifting. I really pray that you are blessed by this message and the the miracles that God has performed in his life as well, especially with with this diagnosis uh, that the doctor has come up with. And just to see how God has uh, helped and, you know, got Hardy through a couple Mm -hmm. of times, praise God for that. Mm -hmm. I just pray that this encourages you and helps you propel and carry on the good fight that the Lord has given you and uh, spread the good news the lord is at work and nothing should derail us from following him every day i hope to see you next time here at kingdom stories from down under i am nathaniel
1: thank you for joining
0: us on kingdom stories from down under we'd love it if you would subscribe rate and share these stories with your wider community and remember every story is worth sharing including yours